Thank you. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 24. We're going to read there, and if, you're, uh, uh, if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it and follow along. If you're watching online, you can follow along, open your Bible if you have it there, and it's good to follow along. We'll refer to it several times along the way. Uh, next week, I'm going to preach on a, on a, I bet most of you don't know the story of this man in the Bible. It's just, I'm going to kind of take us through the scripture and tell us one of my favorite stories about a man that God uses in a special way. I hope you can join me if you're here in town or if you're watching online. Well, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened, amazed at what had happened. Well, I want to talk with you this morning on five lessons of the resurrection, and I want to encourage you to take notes. If you're here in person, you can uh, do that on the back of the worship guide, or if you're online, write these five things down. Five lessons of the resurrection. Why does it matter? Why should it be so important to us? Why should we care about this? Let's note five lessons together. Number one, the resurrection leads to amazement. It leads to amazement. And I want us to go back to verse one. We're going to kind of sort of work our way through these first verses in Luke 24. The Bible tells us that the first day of the week, Sunday morning, very early in the morning, these women, this group of women, came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They're going to anoint the body of Jesus. Jesus has been crucified on the cross. They're going to now anoint his body. Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They did not expect that. Verse 3, it's even more surprising. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, as you can imagine, perplexed, suddenly two men stood by them. We, we know from other accounts that these are angels, in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Well, we see some of the emotions that are going on here. Grief and sorrow and sadness. They're perplexed and scared and uncertain. Isolated. Boy, it sounds like our generation, doesn't it? Grief, fear, worry, doubt uncertainty, isolation. That's this generation as never before. This generation in our own country, our own world is facing those kinds of emotions. You can sort of relate perhaps to how these women must have felt. The world's changing and things aren't as, they, as I thought they would be and times are harder. And maybe some of you know what it's like to be lonely or isolated or facing pain or problems or difficulties. And I'm thankful that God is bigger than our problems and he's bigger than our worries, bigger than our doubts. In fact, notice how the, how the emotions change at the end of this passage. Verse 12 says about Peter, so he went away amazed 
at what had happened, amazed at what had happened. And so that doubt and worry and fear and questioning, that's changed to amazement as he came to understand the resurrection. Let's note some questions these women and the apostles are dealing with. They're dealing with questions like this. Is there something more? Is death just the end? That's what our culture says. Death is just the end. That's just, that just it. But is there something more? Is there something beyond death? If the resurrection happened, and of course I believe it to be absolutely true, then there's something beyond this world, something beyond this lifetime. Is God that big? Is he just a small God that we kind of get a little help from when we need on occasion? Or is he this great God who can conquer death and hell? Is Jesus who he claims to be? Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Is he the means by which mankind, broken, fallen, sinful mankind can reach holy, awesome God himself? And that's, the, that's what the resurrection is about, and it leads to amazement as we come to see that there is something more than life and death. There is something bigger than ourselves. There is something greater than our worries and our doubts and our fears and our problems and our difficulties. Jesus is who he claims to be. I grew up here in um, Illinois, and so I was not around mountains. I can remember the first time I saw the mountains. I mean, you know, we've got our interstate overpasses, of course, but we don't, don't have any of the, like, the Rocky Mountains, the really big mountains. Some of you are from the Rockies, and it just seems fairly flat here. Is that fair to say? I remember seeing, I'd, I'd seen mountains on television and on pictures, but to see the mountains are just spectacular. We don't have any oceans nearby Illinois, in case you didn't know that. Maybe you figured that out as well. And I'd seen pictures of the ocean. I'd seen Hawaii 5.0. I mean, I knew there was what the ocean was like from that, but but on our honeymoon, I saw the ocean for the first time. Vicky was a travel agent. We went to the Bahamas, a good place to start. That's a good place to start. And it was just so big and so powerful and so strong and so amazing. And for many people, the resurrection is sort of like those pictures. I mean, yeah, Jesus rose from the grave. I've read the story. But when you picture it, when you see it, when you understand the truth, when you, when you allow God to deep inside penetrate the soul, you begin to see how big this is. And there's an amazement to the resurrection. And those, those of us who know Christ as Savior, when we search our souls best, we see that amazement to realize that Jesus died for us and that he rose from the grave. There's a second lesson I want you to note. The resurrection results in change. It results in change. So skip down to, um, to verse uh, 5, and the Bible says the women are terrified. They've seen these angels, and they're scared to death, these powerful being sent from God. They bow down to the ground, and the angels speak. They say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? They're saying, the angels are saying to the women, you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking for the living, and this is the place of the dead. You're looking in the wrong place. It's not uncommon in our generation, is it, to be looking in the wrong place, trying to find answers, trying to find meaning in all the wrong places. A few years ago, it was on April Sunday morning. I parked across the street, you know, and I was walking early on a Sunday morning. It was still dark, and as, as I walked along, I heard the uh, clucks of a turkey. You know, they roost in trees, and they were roosted right along the parking lot. And I, I thought to myself, those poor hunters, they're looking in the wrong place. They're out traipsing through the woods, you know, trying to find turkey. And if they had just set up right on the church parking lot, they'd have been, they'd been perfect position. A lot of people are looking for things in the wrong places. You're looking for meaning and purpose in life. Listen, it doesn't matter how sincere you are. 
if you're looking in the wrong place. It doesn't matter how hard you search if you're looking in the wrong place. It, your sincerity does not matter if you're looking in the wrong place. And many people are saying, if I could just get enough possessions, if I had enough things, enough, if, I could ha if there were enough things in my hand, I would be satisfied. And you will never, it'll always, you'll always need a little more. The culture says that's what you need. And it'll always, you'll always need a little bit more if that's what's, what you're looking for, for purpose and meaning in life. If it's power, it'll never be enough. If it's popularity or if it's pleasure, it'll, all, you'll, it'll, never, it'll leave you empty, searching for more, looking for more. And there are many of you who are looking for something, and the world has said, just look here, look here, and you're looking in the wrong place. And like the angels, the Lord is saying to you, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then they said, he is not here, but he has, ris he has risen. They're saying, you're seeing the wrong future. You're seeing the wrong future. You think the future is about death, but it's about life. God tells us there's something beyond this life, and God made us for something more. And our future is not defeat, but victory. Some of you have been defeated in life. You've been defeated by people who have said to you, you'll never amount to anything, and they beat you down, and you began to believe it. Or you're defeated by your own choices and your own mistakes and your own failures and your own sin. And you've said, God could never love someone like me. I mean, if God really knows what I'm like, he'll, he could, deep inside, if he knew the real me, he could never love me. If he knows what I've done, and you think that your life is about defeat, and the Lord is saying there is victory because you can be forgiven, you can be set free, you can be made whole, you can have new life, and that's what God does. The resurrection leads us to change. It changes us deep inside. It changes us. It changed the disciples. It changed a man like Peter. It changed the, the apostles. It changed these women. It changed a woman like Mary Magdalene. I want to say something I, I guess is sort of controversial, but our biggest need as a nation isn't politics. Now I'm all for the for, for participating in the political process. What a great freedom we have in our nation. How thankful I am that we can participate. We can play a part. I'm thankful for that. We ought not take for granted the freedom that we have in this country, and we have a tendency to do that. But the greatest need in our country is not political. The greatest need for our world is not politics. The greatest need for your life is not politics. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist who lived in the end of the 1800s, and he was talking to a politician once, and the politician said, Politics can put a, a new can put a new coat on a man. And Moody said, the gospel can put a new man in a coat. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He doesn't want to just change the outside. He doesn't want to just change the, the shell. He doesn't want to just change the culture. He wants to change you at the depths of who you are. Mary Magdalene's life was changed forever when she met this resurrected king. Peter's life was changed forever when it came to understand the resurrection. The resurrection always results in change. It changes us, and God cares about changing us. And some of you are looking in the wrong place diligently, faithfully, earnestly, but it's the wrong place. And you're seeing the wrong future, defeated, seeing everything except what God wants. God wants to give you life 
and life eternal and life abundant. He wants you to have victory and not defeat. God offers these things by the change wrought by the resurrection itself. There's a third lesson I'd like you to know. The resurrection teaches the truth. It teaches the truth. Verse 6 says that the angel said, he's not here, but he has risen. Remember, they said, remember how he spoke to you. Some of you can remember a time when you heard the message of the gospel. Maybe you had a grandmother or you had a, a Sunday school teacher who taught you about the things of God. There's a time when you're growing in faith. Remember, he's saying, how he, how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary, we're going to come back to that, it is necessary, that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. Do you remember what he said? And the Bible says they remembered his words. And the resurrection is about teaching us the truth. It's telling us we need the gospel. The angels said, remember the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, it is necessary. It is necessary. This matters. It's necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. It is necessary that he be crucified. It's necessary that he rise on the third day. Jesus is saying we need the gospel, not just religion, not just religion. Some of the most religious people in all the world did not recognize God when he came incarnate into the world. Religion, rightly understood, is our response to a relationship with God, but for many people it just becomes a replacement for what God wants. And so we go through our religious action as though that's all God cares about when God wants you. He wants a relationship with you. It's more than religion. It's more than self-improvement. Many people think of Christianity as sort of you know, try harder, do better, and by all means be, be better than that guy. You see that guy, why can't you be as good as they are? And we see faith as though that's what it is, just self-improve. But we can't self-improve to perfection. If God is holy, how can we ever reach that, no matter how good we are from this point forward? No matter how perfect we may be from this point on, we can never change the fact that we're all sinners. And so the Bible says it is necessary. Jesus said it is necessary. So let's note God's plan, which is the gospel. That's God's plan. The gospel is God's plan. And God's plan is this. We've sinned against holy God. He just tells us the truth about this. God is holy, and we're, we're not. We've sinned against him. We've broken God's laws. We've gone our own way. We've re rebelled against what God says. We've followed the world instead of God's way. We've done what we want instead of what God wants. We've sinned against God who is holy. We're broken because of that. We're separated from God because of that. We, we sense in our spirit the emptiness because of that. But God did something about our condition. God sent his son Jesus who lived the perfect life that we couldn't. He lived the life we couldn't live. He lived the perfect life, the sinless life, the life that none of us have lived. And then Jesus died the death we deserved. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Because Jesus lived the perfect life, he was worthy to die the death we deserved. And Jesus, the Bible said, Jesus said it is necessary that the Son of Man be crucified. Jesus' death paid the debt that we owed. It paid the penalty that was ours. I was talking recently to a Christian who said he, was, he worked at a, like a job, like a discount tire type store, something like that. And a co-worker said to him, hey, uh, he knew he went to church. He said, hey, how come you guys call it Good Friday? 
what's that mean, Good Friday? And he, and he said, well, that's the day we remember Jesus died for us. Jesus died on the cross. And the guy said, that doesn't sound very good to me. Why do you, why do you say that? Why do you say Good Friday? And so this young Christian man said this. He said, imagine that you're under a death penalty and someone took your place and died the death that was yours to die. What would you call it? And that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus died for us. Jesus took our debt on himself. Jesus took our place on Calvary. It is necessary. He lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserved. And then Jesus provided the miracle we need. Jesus said it is necessary that the Son of Man rise on the third day. Jesus conquered. He conquered death. He conquered hell and sin. And because of that, we can be forgiven. The Bible tells us if we will repent of our sin, to turn from it, if we'll place our trust in Jesus who died for us, if we will receive him as Savior because of Christ's resurrection, we can have the miracle of new life. We can be forgiven of our sins. We can have a new life in Christ. We can have a home in heaven. We can have abundant life in this world. We can live the life God made for us in this world and have a home with him one day in heaven. And in a few minutes, we'll pray together. And when we do, I'm going to ask you to give your life to Christ if you haven't. I'm going to ask you to trust Christ as your Savior because Jesus died for you and Jesus rose from the grave for you and you, because of that, can be saved. There's a fourth lesson I want you to note with me. The resurrection points to proclamation. Would you write that down? The, the resurrection points to proclamation. So in verse 9, the Bible says, returning from the tomb, the women reported all these things to the eleven, that's the apostles, and to all the rest, all the disciples gathered. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, the other women with him, were telling the apostles these things. Now the women, when they got the proclamation from the angels, when they saw the empty tomb, they didn't just keep it to themselves. They didn't just say, well, you know, that's good information. It's nice for me to know that. I'm, I'm sure glad I found out that event took place. They couldn't keep it to themselves. And so immediately they did what would be, from a spiritual standpoint, the most natural thing to do. They shared it with others. And they told other people what had happened. It's why, church, we don't keep to ourselves this message of the gospel. We share it with others. We want people to be saved. We want lost people to come to know Christ as Savior. We're not neutral on whether or not you should give your life to Christ. We urge you. We can't, we can't be saved for you. We can't make you trust Christ. But we urge you to come to Christ because we believe this gospel matters so deeply and it's so important. And the need you have is so overwhelming that there is no other answer. And so we proclaim the message of the gospel like, a, like one beggar who finds bread tells another beggar about the bread of life. Some of you perhaps got invited to church because someone cared about you and wanted you to hear the gospel. You're watching online because someone wanted you to hear the message of the gospel. There's some, maybe someone you remember from your past or maybe someone more recently. My own grandfather, I tell in the membership class, I always tell, I'll tell more fully the story of my grandfather who came to know the Lord. My grandfather was not, did not grow up in church, didn't hear the things of God, didn't know the message of the gospel. And I tell the story more detail in the membership class, but I, I, just, I just want you to know this little part of it. 
So he was troubled. He was, had some terrible physical problems and in an ill-fated effort to deal with that, he turned to alcohol and it just made life a terrible problem for him and for his family. But he got invited to church by a little boy, by his son, a little boy, his son, who would years later become my father. And that little boy, his son, invited him to church because a little boy at his school invited him. And so through circumstances, my dad, just a boy, asked his father to take him to church. That was the last thing he wanted to do, this broken, bitter man struggling with alcohol and struggling with all the problems that come from it. But through a, a, over a long period of time, eventually... My to-be-grandfather and to-be-father went to a little church where they heard the message of the gospel. It was the first time my father had ever heard the gospel message in his life, to the best of his knowledge. And he gave his life to Christ. And the next night, my grandfather repented of his sin. By the way, grandpa didn't have, like, he didn't, well, they say, I'm not sure about sin. He knew that. That when he had down full. What he, didn't, what he couldn't believe was that God loved him still. A broken man who was terrorizing the family. And my grandfather heard that message that though you are broken by sin and separated from God and there are consequences to sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. God loves you still. And he sent his son into this world to live that perfect life for you. And Jesus went to the cross to die the death you deserve. And he rose from the grave and he conquered sin and death and hell. And because of that, you can be forgiven of sin. You can be set free. You can have new life. And my grandfather trusted Christ as Savior. And his life was changed. And the life of his family and the life that was to be mine years later, decades later, would be changed by that, by that gospel decision. Church, that's why we care deeply about people coming to the Lord. We want you to know Christ as Savior. We want people to hear the message. We don't believe the hope of our world is our fallen, broken culture. We don't think that the materialism of our generation is the answer to the deepest needs of our world. We don't think there's anything our culture or our world or our politics or our, our money or our possessions could ever do to change lives. But there is a God who can change hearts and lives and souls in eternity, and he can change you. He can forgive you, and he can give you new life, and he can give you life of purpose and meaning and power. God wants that for you. The resurrection points to proclamation. There's a fifth principle I want you to know. The resurrection calls for investigation. It calls for investigation. Verse 11, you can sort of understand verse 11, can't you? The Bible says, but these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. I mean, that, you, you sort of understand that. That's how much of our world looks at it today. It just seems like nonsense. I mean, dead people stay dead. People who die in crosses or what, however they die, that's the end. That's it. And the Bible says these words seem like nonsense to them. They did not believe the women. They knew that death is the end. And they knew that the Roman soldiers, if they knew anything at all, if they knew anything about Rome at all, they knew the Roman soldiers knew how to produce death. They knew that the Roman government was powerful and the military knew how to put people to death and they watched as that man died on a cross and it seemed like nonsense to say 
that death was not the end. And you could sort of understand their dismay and their disbelief. But verse 12 says, Peter, however, I love that, however, I know it seems like nonsense. And I know the world says it's crazy. And I, world, I know the world says this is the end, however. I know the world says there's nothing more. Just live for the moment. There's nothing more, however. The world says just get what you can for yourself in the few brief moments you have. However, Peter got up and ran to the tomb. And he said, I'm going to find out about this. If this is true, this changes everything. If Jesus who died is alive, this changes everything. And I'm not going to just live my life in doubt and wondering what could have been, what might have been, had I followed Jesus, had I placed my faith in him. And so Peter got up and ran through the tomb. And when he stooped to look in, he saw the linen clothes. And he went away amazed at what had happened. Some of you know the story continues. And Peter, who had lived in fear, do you remember this story? Peter said to Jesus, I'll go, man, I'll die for you. And, and Jesus said, before this night ends, you'll deny you even know me. And Peter, in fear, denied he even knew who Jesus was. He ran from the cross. But when he met the resurrected Jesus, when Jesus came to him, Jesus forgave him. Do you remember that story? He forgave him. And Peter lived with a new purpose and a new power. And Peter would live his life for the resurrected Lord. And Peter would go to the grave, to, the, to death itself, saying, this man who died is alive. And because of that, everything has changed. And his life was changed. He would go to a martyr's grave because of that belief. And he invites us today to investigate for ourselves. He says, come see. Come see how Jesus can change a life. Come see how Jesus can forgive sins. Come see how Jesus can give hope. Come see how Jesus can overcome fear and doubt and worry and problems and even death itself. Come see for yourself because there's a God who loves you and has not given up on you and who has the power to save you and your life can be changed forever. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? We're going to pray about two specific things. And I want to say a word to those of you who have never trusted Christ as Savior. You're not sure you've ever given your life to Christ. And I today want to ask you to trust him as Savior. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you're a sinner, he does that because he wants you to know that there is a, there is a better plan God has. You'll never come to know the Lord if you think a sin's no big deal. A sin is an incredibly big deal. It bleeds to death. It separates us from God who is holy. But if today you're willing to repent of your sins and place your trust in Jesus, you could be saved. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Now, I hesitate on one part because just saying words isn't really even prayer, much less will it change anything in your life. But if from your heart to the heart of God you want to be saved, you can pray a prayer like this. Just say, Lord, I know I have sinned against you. Just acknowledge that to him. God, I have sinned against you. You are holy and I'm not. Don't justify your sin, argue with why it's no big deal. Just acknowledge it before God. God, I've sinned against you. But I believe you died on the cross for me. You lived the perfect life for me. You died the death I deserve. You rose from the grave. I believe that. And I place my trust in you. So God, as best I know how today, I want to turn from my sin. I want to trust you and you alone for salvation. And I ask you to save me. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. Christ will save you. 
And it's just the beginning, but it is the beginning. And God will change you deep on the inside who you are. And he'll give you new meaning and purpose in life and a home in heaven and forgiveness of sin. And God wants to do that work in you. And Christian, I want to say a word to you. Many of you here know Christ as Savior. You know that you're giving your life to Christ. But the resurrection, if you're not careful, the resurrection just becomes a story. You know, just something like something you watched on a movie once, something you read about in a book once. But I want you to live the resurrection. Would you say, Lord, I believe you're alive. I know you've changed my life. But deep inside, I know that I've drifted from you. And I want to come back to a close relationship with you. I want to live the life you made me to live, that you saved me to live. And I want to live in response to the resurrection, the life that you have for me. God, I want to follow you. Would you say that to him? Father, I thank you for the power of the resurrection and for the hope it gives. I think, I think you can save us from our sins. You can make us new. You can give our lives meaning and purpose here in this world. And you can give us everlasting life in eternity. The life that deep inside we're longing for. So, Father, help us to respond to the resurrection. For those who pray to receive you as Savior today, would you give them strength and understanding and help them to grow in their faith and to follow you and to follow in baptism and deeper walk with you and all the steps that will help them to grow in faith? And for Christians who are here, would you help us to come back to you and to everything you want us to be and to live a life that glorifies your name? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.